Let us begin. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us ready for the all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not temptation, but this from evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, yeah, I have to let people in. Okay. Sorry, Monica. Okay. Okay, I'm going to try things differently this time. Instead of reading the whole thing out loud um, first, is maybe um, what I'm going to do is say what the chapter is about first, so that as we're reading it, um, we know what's, what's kind of happening. But before, um, oh wait, where are my notes? Um, before even doing that, um, how many of you guys have heard of uh, Plato's cave analysis? Okay. All right. For those of you who don't, so some of you have, so I'm trying to get my, my notes out. Um, okay. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so Plato had an analogy. He was using this analogy for math, science, philosophy, like for, for knowledge. Um, but I think it's a helpful one to this chapter, because as we talked about last time, we're picking up in the middle of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which we said was a celebration of um, light, joy, water, right? Those were the main symbols of the feast. And so we saw our Lord in the last time, on the last day of the feast where things are at their highest pinnacle, where it says he stood up and yelled um, and declared himself as, as light and as living water, um, which we're gonna continue from here. And then we have this story in the middle that got inserted that I'm skipping of the woman caught in sin, um, which is, I can see why it got put there because it's connected to some things he said. But in the analogy of Plato's cave, he said, if you can imagine a group of people have been imprisoned Okay, so they've been taken, they've been imprisoned, they've been put in a cave. And he, he gives a setup where the people are chained in such a way that they can only see what's in front of them. Okay, they can't see what's behind them. Um, and they can't see the outside of the cave. But behind them, there's a fire or a source of light. Okay, and so because of the light, he says that their captors are putting up images, they're doing stuff where there's shadows cast on the wall. But for somebody who's been in this cave since they were very little, right, that don't have any concept of the world, they don't know how to interpret anything, right? So they, for example, might think that the shadows on the wall are real, right? Um, they won't know how to interpret reality. So I won't go into where he went with it per se. But because nobody could interpret what was going on, um, they're saying that to come to knowledge of sorts is when somebody is breaking free of these bonds and then gets out and, and discovers light, right? Once they discover light, they can interpret things. They'll know whether the shadows are real or not. Um, he talked about their progression of, of knowledge where they might interpret the outside world. The moon and the stars would be hard on the eyes. Eventually, in the analogy, the people could just look at the sun, 
right? I want you to have this analogy in your in your head for this chapter, um, because I think it it'll, it'll be um, extremely relevant um, to what our Lord is going to be talking about in this one. So we also had talked about how there's this trial of sorts that's begun for Christ since John five, right? And we see that in, in, in chapter seven, the Lord goes right into it and it seems even unprovoked, right? Where he says, why do you guys wanna kill me? And they're like, who said we wanna kill you? Are you crazy, right? Is what they, what they said to him. Um, and he has this back and forth. And that's why that story seems to be an interruption because this seems to be a continuation of it, right? And in John chapter five, Again, the accusation that is brought against Christ is how dare you do these acts on the Sabbath? We have rules about it. And the rules that you've broken are worthy of capital punishment, right? So again, it's not just like, we don't like that you did it. It's in the law, it says that for doing this, we ought to kill you, right? So this isn't just a, a small brawl or like contention that's going on. This is, this is escalating, right? And this chapter is continuing that. Right. But the Lord is not intimidated by it. Right. Like he's not he's not backing off because it's upsetting people. Um, and so now he's going to focus on the, the these two aspects of the feast that we we talked about the right of last time, which is light and joy. This chapter is going to be focusing on um, both of those. Um, and if you can have in your mind, because remember that we said that this feast for the Jews they were remembering their wandering in the wilderness, right? And in the wilderness, they had a cloud that they followed by day, but at night was a pillar of light, right? So when Christ is, is speaking of himself as light, right? Again, in the context of the feast, it's, it's pointing at something um, big. Um, so he's going to come in and he's going to talk about him being the light, they're not going to like that, right? Not only because he's calling himself light, but because he, as we're going to see shortly, is using the title of God again, right? Where he's he literally, the beginning of his speech that we're about to get into here, he's like, I am, the, the name of God is the light of the world, right? And so, again, like we said last time, if you can imagine these rituals that are going on where they're lighting things, and he's standing up saying, and, and, and think about this, this is in the middle of a church celebration, right? So can you imagine maybe on joyous Saturday, because you have a billion processions with like lights, where, where in the middle of the procession is like, by the way, I'm the real light, right? This is what he's doing, right? And so this is not nice um, in, the, in the eyes of the people um, that he's doing that. And so then they're going to have a back and forth where he's, he's having the trial yet again. Right, where they're going to bring it back and they say, "How dare you say that?" Um, and they're going to have this back and forth. So we'll we'll get into that. Um, I'll read. I'll do the reading this time only for now because we're still doing stuff online because people had trouble following, and also because for part of this, I'm going to use a different um, translation, even though that I usually do, just because I, I I want you to hear what it almost would have sounded like what the Lord is saying in the vernacular, like in street in street language. Okay. So starting from verse 12, I'm going to switch that translation for the second two-thirds of it. So again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Again, he's associating light now with life, just like he did with water, just like he did with bread. Right now he's associating light with life. The Pharisees then said to him, you are bearing witness to yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered them, even if I do bear witness to myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I have come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Okay, so the Jewish law had a rule. You need to have multiple testimonies. You can just on your own word declare things, okay? Um, maybe a better way of reading what he's saying when he says your witnesses, your testimony is not true. The, what they're actually trying to say is your evidence isn't verifiable, right? They're saying you're giving testimony of yourself. That isn't verifiable, right? If we're gonna, because they're, they're still at trial essentially. So they're saying, you're just coming in and just making a statement for yourself saying, I didn't do it, like to, to draw an analogy, like somebody's being accused of a crime, they're brought into the, to the, the courts and your witness, your testimony on the stand is just, wasn't me, I was away, right? And they're saying, that's not verifiable. You, you can't be your own witness, right? And so Christ is replying saying, yes, I can actually. He goes, first of all, I'm not. Even if I did, I could. He's like, but it isn't just me who's vouching for me. It's also my father. Um, well, actually, the father part is coming, right? That's because going to cause a bigger fight. Um, he's saying, but I, I do know what I'm talking about. Now, in this ceremony, okay, if you can picture what's going on, the temple is something like... Um, I can't remember how many football fields. This is the new temple. It's at least 40 football fields. I wrote it down somewhere if I couldn't find it. Um, can't find it. Um, but this is at, at least, if I remember correctly, at least 40 football fields long. And right now they're in a particular section of the temple, okay? It's actually in the, in the women's section where they used to light certain um, torches. And this is where they most likely are right now. They're lighting these golden candlesticks in the court of the woman. Um, this is, you can find it in, in, in the Mishnah. You'd have to take these ladders up to them to light it. And then floating in these bowls were wicks that we talked about on the first time that were made from old garments of the priest so that it's holy. Okay. Um, and so there's like, there's this big thing going on. And this is where this fight is happening right like it's it's intrusive um and so when our lord is standing there he's saying yeah that's nice what you're doing like you're climbing those ladders to light it but you it's me i am is the light of the world i who am god i'm the light of the world um and we're seeing saint john try and take us away of light to be a way of seeing just as, as a previous coming which we'll see in the next chapter when the blind man born blind is the one who really sees, right? Whereas, whereas the Pharisees are the ones who don't. Um, but this proclamation that he's light, right? I like just think about it for a second because I don't think we maybe get it, right? The only way you can see is because of light, right? The way that light reflects off of objects is how you see things. Right? That's how the eye works. Without it, you can't see at all. Right? And I think what we sometimes forget is that light is showing how things are rather than how we imagine them. 
right? You can have a concept of something, but you need to find out what the thing is. And I'm getting a little bit philosophical here, right? But this is what God is making the claim to explain right now, right? He's saying, I'm light. I show you how things are, right? I'm showing you what a thing is supposed to, to, to be in its true essence. So imagine how does a person know just I'm going to be random here. How does a person know how a kidney should operate? I just want, I want you to, in your mind, go to the most basic of knowledge, because this is like the, the, the terminology in John in Greek is the most simple language, like so rudimentary. Like you could, with an intro course in Greek, read the gospel of John. You just might not get it. Okay. But why couldn't somebody, for example, say that a kidney, a proper kidney, that a kidney, all it is, is a special organ that's for food that is harvested in humans? On what basis could anybody say that that person is, is wrong? Right? I'm saying it just to, to challenge, because you might say, oh, because that's just not what a kidney is, right? That's weird. Nobody does that, right? But I'm saying, how would you know that? On what basis do you just know what a kidney is actually, essentially, and truly for and so we would today be like oh go ask a nephrologist go ask the kidney doctor right and how did the kidney doctor arrive at the knowledge of the kidney by observing it by looking at it as it is right by looking at what happens when i remove it what does it do or not do what does it do to a person when they do or not have it right the point i'm trying to make here is that we we take for granted that we think we know, we think we see, right? How things are supposed to be, but we don't always. And this is exactly what Christ is challenging. And it's coming out clearly in this fight, right? Because they're yelling at him for being who he is and telling him how you are is wrong, how we do things, that's what's right, right? That's the actual essence of this, this fight. Right, but the person who sees, the nephrologist who sees, might not be able to explain to you how they know or why things are as they are. Right, for me as a pharmacist, if somebody came in and said, "Prove to me that these antibiotics are going to work," how, how do I prove that to them? Right, and tell them, "Well, here's the kind of bacteria you have. These drugs are for this kind of bacteria." Like, there's no guarantee of any kind that the person is going to believe me because they don't know they don't have that that same knowledge right and so this is again this is kind of what's going on the light the light is the lens that we see what, what something is okay it's through light that we can we can identify an object now as believers if we start to identify light as as god as as a who Okay, then we also can start to understand why a thing is, right? Because he has the answers to, to that question, okay? This is why I think people don't get faith, why they don't understand it, right? Why they don't understand even the beauty of it. I'm sure some of you have, have had those experiences where some older tante or uncle um, tells you something like, you won't see it like that in the future, right? Where you're like, that's not helpful to me right now, 
right? Or where they'll, they'll, they'll reference some aspect of faith that they're finding comfort in that to you is a random word. Or why you might sometimes try and explain to a non-believer some experience or feeling that you have towards God and it's meaningless to them because they don't see it, right? They don't have that, that knowledge of it. They can't see it and you can't just explain it. Right. That's why Christ is speaking for what's true, but no one is okay with it. Right. And it's coming from God himself. And if we believe that, that he's God, then what he's saying must be true. But even then, that's not acceptable to people. I'll question later why we don't like light, maybe at the at the end. Because um, I think we we don't always like the light just like the people we're reading about we'll come back to that at the end i think there might be reasons for that that we don't like it but the the the, the scary part is i think not just when we don't want to see the light for what it is is when we want to control how others do as well right when we want to force people to see light the way i do and to have the explanations the way that i do this is exactly what the lord is about to say so in verses 15 he says you judge you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But even if I were to judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone that judge, but I and he who sent me. The I am he who sent me could alternatively be translated actually as I am and he who sent me. It's actually another God reference that's, that's being made here. Okay. So what he's saying here is you judge by human standards. That's what he means by according to the flesh. Right? You judge in, in your humanly way of, of seeing. Um, and that, that's not a standard. Saying, but I'm actually presently not judging anyone. This might even refer to the story. That might be why they inserted the story of the woman caught in sin there, saying, I didn't judge her. Right? I, I didn't condemn in there. Um, whereas in a second, he's going to say that I do judge. I have much to judge right and which which seems like a, a contradiction whereas it seems in a crisis similar to what he said earlier when he said um i am not here to judge but you who don't believe are judged already right in the sense that if something is true you don't need someone to say to any verdict it's clear you stand judged already by what fact is right so it's almost like saying if we're having a debate about gravity and there's one person arguing that there's no such thing as gravity. I don't need to pronounce judgment that the dude is wrong. The existence of gravity already condemns him, right? There's something to that effect that, that he's saying. So he continues, verse 17 says, in your law, or in other, or in a, it said more colloquially, even in the law that you accept, because he's not anti the law, right? Saying so even in the in your own system you yourselves accept that the that the testimony of two people are true right that was the jewish law he's saying so i'm a witness and the father who sends me bears witness to me as well now this is where you start to see a turn in the people because up to here when he would say my dad my father they're like we already know his dad is isn't it joseph we knew joseph joseph's dead right now they're catching on he's not talking about joseph because they're asking than they usually do of where is your father, 
right? They're starting to acknowledge that they don't exactly know what's going on here, right? And so Jesus answers and says, he's clearly annoyed, right? You neither know me nor my father. Because if you knew me, right? If you had the eyes to see, if you knew exactly who I actually was, you would also know who my father is. And he's saying this in the treasury, it says, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now we get these little hints sometimes from, from, from St. John, right? That shows that he really knows the temple. He throws in these random things, even when he's describing the feast to be like, I get it. I was there. I'm Jewish. I like, so that there's no doubt, right? It's, it's somebody who knows the, the ins and outs of a thing. Now, as we said, his mere presence is an indication that they have judged wrongly. And it's asked them, it's making them ask this more relevant question of where is your father? Okay. Um, and so we're going back into this exact same trial. So I want to pause for a second on this human judgment aspect, because I think we do this all the time, right? Is to pay attention to how you speak, even in church, right? Actually, I'd even say especially in church, right? How often do we judge on human standards saying, here's the right way? I know I, I, I emphasize this point sometimes too much, but I think it's because we do it too much. Of here's the obviously right thought. Here's how you're supposed to think. Right, we do it all the time in church, as though we are somehow the standard, right? And that as though it is the right way of seeing how I see, that's the right way of seeing. We do it in relationships, right? Where we hold each other in relationships to a certain standard that we made up. And we tell people, no, you're supposed to do it like this because this is what I think. And here's why what you're doing is wrong, even though there's actually not a standard right, where it's, it's some relatively new standard or the one that you simply just made up, or it's just simply the one you prefer, and you hold other people to it, right? But this is judging by human judgment. It's not judging by light. It's not judging by how something is. It's actually judging based on totally and completely um, preference. The right way to do it is to ask if God has a way first, right? Is there an absolute truth about something? Do you ask what is the judgment of God on something before you proclaim it to everybody else? Is there a way that you're supposed to enter the sanctuary? Did God speak on that? I'm not saying that the customs of men are stupid, but before you say, here's how you do it, right? Is there an absolute about it, right? If, if you are looking for God's judgment, then that's the first question. And the way that you do it, Christ is saying, I'm light, is to say, I have this idea. I have this decision. I have this option. Let me hold it up to the light, right? Let the light shine on it and, and, and reveal it for what it is to try this all together. What is it? What does it look like? Are there blemishes? Are there cracks? Is there something wrong with it, right? If it can ha handle, if it can stand up to the scrutiny of light, then you're good to go. If it isn't, that's what needs to be corrected first, right? That's one of the reasons that we'll come to the end when we meditate a little bit together on this whole cave thing, why sometimes we don't want to step out of the cave, right? We don't want that test. We would rather have this fake confirmation that we're so right. 
about ourselves and, and we often bully people and beat people into subjection um, with our truth, whatever that means, okay? Um, so now he's spoken about true water and he just started talking about true light. Sorry, and I made a mistake. It wasn't 40 football stadiums, it was four, big difference. Um, I don't know how big a football stadium is, I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, so, now the Lord is gonna get really both dark and not, dark maybe to the disciples. Um, so he moves on and says, verse 21, again, he says to them, actually, no, I'm gonna to switch to this other translation right now. So I want you to really pay attention. I'm gonna read a bulk in a row and like maybe even just close your eyes and listen and, 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 and put in your mind that you're at the middle of this big scene, okay? You're at, after Joy Saturday, everybody is at church, right? You have this big public fight between Abuna and some guy, right? That you still don't know who that guy is, okay? It turns out he's God, but they don't get it yet. And everybody's angry. And, and he's with his disciples and in front of all these people. And he starts saying this. I'm leaving. You're going to look for me, but you're, you're going to die in your error. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. Then the people in the church, then the Jews said, what's he going to do? Kill himself? Because he's saying, where I'm going, you can't come with me. He says to them, you are from below. I'm from above. You are earthly. You're from this world, but I'm not of this world. That is why I told you that you would die in your sins, because you belong to earth. You're born from earth. You're mortal. You're carnal. Unless you come to believe that I am I am, you will surely die in your sins. They asked him, well, then who are you? Jesus answered what I've been telling you from the very beginning. Many are the things that I could say about you and I could condemn. But instead of saying these things and condemning you, the only things I say to this world are what I've heard from him, the one who sent me who is truthful. They did not yet understand that he was talking to them about the Father. So when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am I am and that I do nothing by myself. No, I only say those things that the Father taught me and the one who sent me, the Father, is with me. He has not left me alone since I always do what is pleasing to him. While he was speaking in this way, many came to believe in him. Jesus then said to the Jews, actually, I'll, we'll come back to the last part after. Okay, we'll, we'll continue 31. So he's gone off, and this is stuff that is very confusing to them, right? And yet it says that there are people who listening to him speak plainly like that started to believe in him. Right now, here's what's interesting is that he's using now they finally came to the right question. Now they're not saying who's your father. 
right? Clearly, like, we're not on the same page. Who exactly are you? And it's very interesting here because the Trinity, this is a very Trinitarian piece. The Trinity is not a, a preference of Christians, right? Like, we don't teach Trinity because it's convenient. It's actually very confusing, right? It's, it's a mystery. But these are passages where, where we're forced to talk Trinity, right? Because he's saying things like, I am, I am. And he's saying that him and his father, based on his language, are, the same, are, are one, yet clearly they're differentiable, right? These are part of the reasons why we came to the language of three persons, one God, right? Because they're distinct, but one, and we don't even know how to articulate it, right? Even from, from John 1. And because of what he's saying, they are understanding that he's claiming Godhead. That's why they want to kill him, right? They're not claiming, they don't want to kill him just because he's a rabble rouser, right? They want to kill him because he's blasphemous, right? That he's making these, these dark claims. And it's not an accident that he's saying to them, you don't get it. You don't know who I am. You know when you're going to get it. When you believe, you will know that I am, I am, when I am lifted up, which was not an accident, right? Because the suffering servant of Isaiah, the Messiah that we, we've talked to, we've alluded to in, in, in other passages, it says of that suffering servant, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And what's really, really interesting here is that the Lord is now using this lifted up in two ways. It's a play, it's a double entendre, if you will. The lifting up is his crucifixion and also his exaltation of the Messiah, right? That the moment of glory in the gospel of John that keeps coming back to is crucifixion, not resurrection. John actually links resurrection and ascension to the moment of crucifixion as the most important. Right, which is important because I think we sometimes underplay the value and significance of, of the passion. Um, and so he's trying to convey to them that there's this huge, huge urgency. I'm here to give you life and you're refusing it, but your time is running out. The time of my exaltation is coming. Can you accept it first? Because I'm the source of life, right? That light is the source of life. Water is the source of life. Bread is the source of life. And who is water, bread, and light? I am is, which he is identifying as himself. And so he's saying, I'm the begetter of life, but the place to be born from is the cross, right? That is the place of birth. That's why in our baptisms, we are baptized as a symbol first of dying, right? That precedes the resurrecting. And so he's saying, if I leave, there's not going to be a chance for you to be delivered other than me. I've come from above to your place so that I can save you, to save you from what's below. But when he's lifted up, that's when people are going to understand, right? And I know I said this in a previous week, but I want to really... This is one of the sections we read more than once during Holy Week, right? Is that I don't think that the author, whoever it is, we're not sure who it is, of of the hymn, this is he. I'm almost positive he was using this 
in front of him, right? When he was writing that him or she, I'm probably he, right? Is that the gospel of John, and we're going to go hardcore in it when we get to John uh, uh, 18, 19, and 20, is saying, if you get it, if you can see, if you can really see, then when Jesus is hanging on the cross in the moment of death, that you'll be able to look at him and see and know that this is I am. If you can't see that in the Gospel of John, you don't get it, right? Then you can't, as we're going to see in the rest of the disciples, then you're not a true disciple, right? That's why some people see John's Gospel as elitist, because it's very much, do you get it? If you don't get it, then you're, you're not real, right? Whereas, whereas Christ himself is saying it, you need to be able to look at me on the cross when I am elevated and be able to believe that I, I am I am, right? The title of, of, of God. Again, this is complete and utter blasphemy. He then continues. Then Jesus went on to say to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, in my logos, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So now he's saying, you'll be liberated if you believe me. And this angers them even more. Remember, we're still in the middle of this fight. And so then they retort, we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been somebody's slave. What do you mean we'll be made free? What are you suggesting, right? The irony of this, to be quite honest, is that they weren't free, right? Like they, they, they're occupied by Romans. Prior to them was the Persians, the Babylonians, like, they, they, like on any literal or, or allegorical level, this is a stupid thing to say, okay? But they're annoyed, right? They're, they're really annoyed. Who, who do you think you are to be delivering us, we who are the blessing to the world as the descendants of Abraham? Jesus answered them, well, truly, I, I tell you, everyone who acts, again, I'm using a different translation here just to make it clear what he's saying. Everyone who acts sinfully is a slave of sin. While no slave has a permanent place in the family, the son has a place there forever. So if you remember the very first talk we had about the different values, he's, he's referring to the their family structure, their kinship structure, right? A slave's identity was in the master, but he was only allowed to be in the household by the mercy of the master, whereas family is family, right? So Christ is saying, if you want to be the children of God, you're saying you're these descendants of Abraham. He's like, but you act like a slave because of your sin, right? And a slave isn't a real member of the family. A son is. Right, so he's retorting back with that. So he's saying, so if I, the son, set you free, then you're really free. I know that you're descendants of Abraham. But you're looking for a chance to kill me because what I'm saying makes no headway with you. I tell you what I have seen in the father's presence. Why? Because I'm in the bosom of the father. I'm the one who descended from above and who ascends back to my father. Forgive me, I know this chapter is, is rough. This is one of the hardest chapters in, in my view of 
all of the, the gospels. Um, and I'm definitely not doing it any service. I am telling you what I've seen when I'm with my father is what I'm showing you. And therefore you should do what you heard from the father. They're angry, right? So he's saying, I'm telling you what comes from the father. I'm calling you what comes from God. I'm, I am. And then they say to him this, our father is Abraham. Right? We're, we're not in league with whoever this, this is that you're talking about. They answered him, sorry, they answered him, our father is Abraham. Jesus replies, oh, wow. Well, if you really were Abraham's children, you'd be doing works worthy of Abraham. You'd act like Abraham. And so this might refer to how Abraham dealt with people in general. Right, because nothing that they're doing resembles Abraham. We don't know actually precisely what he means. Right, it might be that Abraham was known for his hospitality. Right, that he welcomed strangers. It might be because Abraham welcomed God Himself. Right, in the in the three visitors when he's told about um, having Isaac, but he's telling them at least act like the children of Abraham if you really want to make this claim true. But actually, you don't act like Abraham. You are looking to kill me. Why? Because I'm a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do that. You are indeed doing your father's work. And now he is clearly referring to a different father that he's going to get to, which is going for the jugular, right? So they feel insulted. We're going to see where, where the Lord is going with this. And they say, listen, we're not born illegitimate right? We're not bastard children. We're not the children of some, sorry, of some chick on the side. This is literally what they're saying. We are actually Abraham's kids and they're fuming right now. We have but one father. Now they've said not just Abraham's, they're moving it towards God again, but God himself. Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me because from God, I came forth and am here. Not on my own have I come, but he sent me, the one that you're claiming is your father, right? Um, why don't you understand, verse 43, why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you're incapable of hearing my word. The devil is the father you belong to. And you willingly carry out your father's wishes. Here, there might be some reference being made to Cain, Cain and Abel, right? There are some Jewish traditions of, of the devil being the father of this and being the cause of, of Cain and Abel, right? And so he's saying, now they're saying, you want to kill me? It's saying, yeah, you're, you're following the line of Cain. Here I am, your brother, your brother man, and you want, you want to kill me. Saying, but your father is the devil who was a murderer from the beginning and never based himself on truth. For there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he's speaking in his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lying. But since I, for my part, tell you the truth, you do not believe me. But tell me one thing you can convict me of. Can you convict me of one sin? The Lord asked them, if I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The man who belongs to God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear is because you do not belong to God. 
very harsh words. Verse 48, the Jews answered, aren't we right after all in saying that you are a Samaritan and demented? Jesus replied, oh, I'm not demented, but I do honor my father when, while you fail to honor me, right? So them calling him a Samaritan is suggesting that the, the Samaritans refuse to recognize the Jews as these exclusive children of Abraham, right? So on one level, either they're saying that, and that's the charge of basically being blasphemous of being heterodox, right? And that's why they're using the word demented um, and a demoniac, right? They're, they're, take, they're going all out on him. So the Lord replies, verse 50, I don't seek glory for myself. There is someone who does seek it and he passes judgment. But I solemnly assure you, if a man keeps my word, he shall never see death. This makes them go wild, right? Again, remember at the beginning of this chapter, we're talking about how you see things. They're insistent on seeing things their way. So everything that Christ is saying sounds completely stupid to them, right? And so they're arguing sarcastically with him, being like, okay, now we're even more sure that you're a moron. That's what they're saying to him. Because here you are saying, if some guy believes in you, they'll never die. And yet, right, they say, Abraham died. So did the prophets. Yet you claim a man will never experience death if he keeps your word. Surely you don't claim to be greater than Abraham, who is dead. Or the prophets who are dead. Who are you pretending to be? Right? This to them is like that aha moment we got him. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory amounts to nothing. Right? If I'm if I'm bigging up myself, that's that doesn't have much value. But the one who glorifies me is actually the Father, who you say is your God. Because that's his glorification. This is obscure here. He's talking about his resurrection and ascension. Right? That this is where I'm going. You're the ones who think you see it and you don't, and you're going to see it. Even though you do not know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I will be just like you, a liar. Right? Like, I can't pretend that the father is not my father. And it's interesting, again, for those of you who have had that experience of truth, where you may find yourself saying this. I remember I've, I've had experiences of the supernatural in my life. Right, so it's been met with skepticism, no problem, right? But when a person wants me to deny, it, I'm like, I, I can't pretend I didn't see it. I don't, I don't care what you say. I saw it, right? If I were to say I didn't see it, I'd be lying. I don't mind being wrong about my explanation. I don't mind being wrong about something that I can't know. But I know what I saw, right? This is what Christ is saying. He's saying I, I cannot pretend that he's not my father. Save me what you want. For me, this is a fact. For you, this is a philosophy. I know, right? I know my identity and I know my father and I know from where I came. And if I were to lie, I'd be just like you, a bunch of liars. And then he takes it a step further. Your father, Abraham, that you keep talking about, he rejoiced at the prospect of seeing my day. And when he saw it, he was glad. So he's making a claim here. Abraham wanted to see him, 
saw him and rejoiced. Why are they rejoicing? Feast of Tabernacles, the third aspect of it, the joy, right? And the Jews look at him like he's a psychopath and they say, you're not even 50. How on earth can you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I solemnly assure you, amen, I say to you, before Abraham even came into existence, I'm I am, right? This is one of the most in-your-face chapters about Christ's identity in the Bible, right? And then they pick up rocks to throw at Jesus, but he hid himself and slipped out of the temple precincts, okay? So here is the conflict now, right? Like, let's step out of the theology for a second and, and look at what's going on now in the, in the life of, of Christ, right? Is that we see this man who comes out of nowhere. The Gospel of John doesn't give a, 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 an, an infancy narrative, right? There's no John the Baptist. There's no Bethlehem. There's no manger. There's no genealogies. He just, he just appears, right? And when he appears, is this constant projection of who is he, right? And John sets the scene from chapter one of saying, no one's going to get him. No one's going to get him. He's going to come to his own and his own are going to hate him. He's going to speak the truth and everyone's going to hate the truth. He's going to come to his own people and his own people reject him. His own family will reject him, right? But what he's going to do is he's going to shine light. He's going to be who he is and the light is going to shine in the darkness and the darkness is not going to comprehend it. And that's what we've been seeing all the way through chapter two. He's with Nicodemus. He's at the wedding. Like, what is he doing? Why is he like not doing our purification stuff? Right? Chapter three is Nicodemus saying, no, I don't get you. What do you mean you need to be born again? And he's like, well, because your being birth is not real birth. Chapter four saying, wait a minute. I don't know what you mean by like the Samaritan woman, by you claiming that there's a real God, the spirit thing. What, what are you talking about? Chapter five, how dare you trample on our customs? How dare you heal on the Sabbath? And everything he does is met with rejection after rejection. Chapter six, I am his bread. You can't have life if you don't have me. Right. And so what Christ is doing is that he's diminishing, he's dying, he's giving himself. And the people are getting more and more and more outraged, right? Trying to figure out who are you. And the Lord is not being obscure by saying, I'll tell you who I am and what I'm about. I'm about truth. I am is the truth. I am as life. I am as real bread. And I'm coming here to give you life, bread of life, light of life, water of life. Right. I'm here to fix that. Because actually, if you know what this word is from, chap from the chapter one, we had the discussion about the world that becoming and the world that is. The actual verse here about Abraham is saying, before Abraham became, I was is. Right? That I'm in that world of that ever existing thing. And I'm here to birth you into that world. That if you want to have access into the world where you don't die, it's through belief in me. So to go back to this cave that we're talking about at the beginning, what Christ is saying to them, I'm entering the cave to release you from your shackles so that if you want, you can see light. I'm giving you access to that world. And that's where I'm, I think we need to ask the question, if you want to meditate spiritually away from the philosophy for a second, Chapter one says, but men prefer darkness rather than light. And this is what we're seeing here, right? Is what are the ways that we are asking to stay in the cave? Where someone's come 
thing saying, you being shackled, I'm here to release you. And you're like, no, 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 no. Who do you think you are releasing us? And we're so lost in that world of darkness that we aren't even pausing to be, well, wait, how did he come in as a non-shackled person? No one's asking that question, right? And when they do, they get angry. Who are you, right? And when he answers, they go, I don't like your answer, right? As opposed to him saying, well, if you could trust me for a moment, if you could faith me for a moment, if you could believe me for a moment, I can release your shackles. That's why he's saying, if you believe me, the question of John is, do you believe me? Do you trust me? If so, let me undo your shackles. I can do it. But if you don't want me to, I won't, right? He gives that cooperation between free will and his. So why is it that people want darkness rather than light? Because look at how these people reacted. When he is presenting light, they take it as a personal attack. They're like, what are you saying about us? When actually he didn't start off by saying anything about them. He started off by saying, I'm light. He didn't say, I'm light, you horrible dark people. He just said, I'm light. And they were up in arms. How dare you say that? Right? Does that not sound like contemporary culture? Anybody says anything and is taken as a personal attack. Right? If you say, I don't smoke, oh, are you judging me because I'm a smoker? No, I just said I don't. Right? But it's an immediate offense. Right? I don't think I'm going to go to the event. Why? Because you're better than us? Why? Because you, like, that's the immediate result. Are you that person? Right? So it's almost like some guy in the cave who's shackled up that's not even able to identify that he's shackled up being like, oh, you think you're better than us because you're not shackled up, right? Actually, yeah. In that particular case, yeah. Why would you want to be shackled up, right? Why, why would that be your preferred place? But also I think people want the world to be all that there is, right? Like when you look, look at the, the reaction of the world towards faith and maybe your own, towards faith do you live like the cave is all that there is right have you decided to build your world in that cave shackled up because i think that's what most people have done where most of us we've created our own cultures in the cave we developed our own systems of leadership in the cave we developed our own way of talking in the cave we've we've decided what the shadows mean and we've decided that anybody who challenges those isn't like us, is rejected from the club. But there's a lot going on that should make us question whether the cave is all that there is, right? I don't understand, for example, when people say things like, who don't believe in anything, I just had bad vibes. Well, what does that mean? If everything is just material, what's a bad vibe? Like, explain it right? Like heebie-jeebies? And, and does that have anything to do with reality? Or is that just like some chemical balance? And if so, then, then who cares about your bad vibes, right? Keep them to yourself, have a, have a meal, something. Okay. What are feelings? What are reactions? Why does the way that someone you care about saying something harsh to you evoke you to feel a particular way, whereas someone you couldn't care less about could say the exact same words, no effect on you or a different effect on you. 
it begs the question of meaning that there is something beyond the material and if there is something beyond the material then how do you see it what is the light by which you use to see things right even that begs the question of why do all people seem to look for reason or purpose right when whenever something happens how often do people come to saying that just doesn't make sense right or explain to me why this appeal to reason has as its presupposition that there's such thing as reason right and if there is reason then that begs the question of what is the reason and how do i see it this is the proclamation god is making see it through me right see it through me because i'm that light if I made it, I designed it, that's how it is. If I'm the one who can release you, that's how you have light. If I'm the one who gave it its purpose, then you have to see it through me or it will not actually ever make sense. So I think now more than ever, life is like this ongoing trial that they're putting our Lord through, right? This is the end of one heavy section and there's going to be another one, the, the goodbye chapters are a little bit rough but now more than ever i think life is a trial right where everything acts like a trial like like even when they said like we don't have to wear masks i personally i was scared to go to starbucks whereas like what if someone yells at me that i took mine off even though i'm allowed to take it off right first time getting on the elevator i'm like is someone going to be upset right because everything right now is a running trial Right, of how dare you? What's your position? What's your stance? Are you this? Are you pro this or anti this? Right? Um, I was reading a, an article today about Bill Cosby's um, conviction being thrown out. And I'm not putting a stance, so I'm not on trial right now. Um, but what was interesting was that even though he has had his conviction thrown out right the typical language when somebody is accused is alleged right if it, and so if your conviction has thrown been thrown out you can't call somebody a criminal anymore so it was interesting for me to see that in the narrative it was like cosby who is con was convicted of x y and z right and suddenly the narrative is is anti him he might be guilty i have no idea because that's not that's not my point Right, but it was saying that there's still a public trial, right? I saw some other actress, I don't know who she is, that was on my feed today, who is defensive because she married some guy, or so she's dating some guy 21 years older than her, right? And so she's claiming she's on public trial for her decisions, which probably is, right? But my point is, in a world where that's what we do, Right in a world where yes, everyone is yelling at you for whatever you say and do. Have you ever asked yourself how it is that you see? How do you interpret? Right? How are you assessing? Right? And that's what I'm saying. Now more than ever, Christians need to go back to the gospel. Because if you don't know how to hold it up to the light, good luck navigating. Right. Good luck navigating anything, even inside the church. Right. This fight that the Lord is happening, having is in the church. 
that wasn't with the Romans, it wasn't with the Samaritans. Actually, the Romans and Samaritans were a lot nicer to him, right? Even, even some of the, it says some of the Greeks at the feast go up to see him and ask him for a word or a miracle, right? The fight is actually with his own. Another place to examine ourselves is whether we interrogate the truth, right? Here, the truth, Christ, was being interrogated. How many times, because I've heard this in church since moving to Vancouver multiple times, so I know that it's a thought that's out there. Do we believe this or this? Because if it's this, I'm not down. Just as a starting position. Not with the question of what is the truth and let me bow to it, regardless of where it is, but of I've decided what the truth is. So tell me that you subscribe, because if you don't, I'm piecing out, right? But how often are you maybe not as emphatically or as explicitly doing that very thing, right? How many times have you spoken for God? Of course, God wouldn't. And I often wonder on what basis do you know whether he would or wouldn't if you don't ever actually read the gospel? How do you know what he thinks about it, right? And that's why even when we read these things, I'm always surprised, would this be how I thought God would react, right? Whenever personally I'm reading the Bible, I ask, if someone were to ask me, how does God respond to X, insert scenario, would I have answered this? Or did I just apply it on God and decide for him how God speaks, right? Because I think we tend to interrogate the truth even in the service, right? Where it'll be like, I don't think this is a good idea because I'm going to assert personal convictions, right? Or here's why that group is maybe not, not as illumined because insert personal conviction, right? Start with the question of where is the absolute truth? Everything else is discussable. But start with the light, right? There's this thing that I want, this thing that I'm thinking, this thing that I want. Is it... Is it Christ? Is it in light? Is it true? Is it beautiful? Right? Or is it something that lies? It's darkness, right? Is it something that has its core ego or that has its core rather than self-denial? Because he's saying the moment of glory is when you give yourself up to death. Consequently, the opposite of it is you're seeking your own life where you're seeking your own will, right? And that's why Christ is saying, you guys don't get it. I'm not here to, to big myself up. Actually, you want to know when I'm going to be bigged up? When I die. So it's not about me saying nice things about myself. So do I, in my life, in my service, in my thoughts, in my interactions, in my relationships, am I looking to take or to give? Am I looking to self-sacrifice or to dominate? Right. That's mean. this chapter is is very relevant and very, 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 very tough because I don't I, I don't live this way. I wish I did, but I don't. Right. We tend to want to live comfortably. A healthy person. Sorry, I know I'm talking too, too much. I'm sorry that my energy is low today, but a healthy person can't tell you why they're healthy. They just are. Right, And that's why Christ is saying, seek light. Once you're living in light, you'll be able to see. A healthy person can't say, oh, I'll tell you why I'm healthy. It's because I have three eggs, but someone else might not have three eggs. Right? They can't say, I'm healthy because 
um, my, my cholesterol level is X, right? Because there are people who are very jacked and healthy that have cholesterol through the roof, naturally. You don't know how to see until you're in the light, right? And, and the reason why I want, I'm emphasizing that again to end with is saying that part of why we don't grow spiritually is because we don't live in light. And then you ask why don't why we don't see results, right? It's because we're we're making those choices to to live in darkness, right? So be careful. Be careful that you're not living in darkness. Be careful that you're also not institutionalizing, right? Which is what was going on with the Jews here, right? The Jews were more concerned about being sons of Abraham than sons of God. When they were attacked for it, then they returned. Oh no, no, we're sons of God, right? And then there's confusion. Be careful. Right, be very, very careful because I think we we beat people into subjection, right? And we're like, here's the right way. Anyways, I'm I'm running around in circles, but um, may we all seek to live in light, um, and we'll see a more living. I'm sorry again that this one was so philosophical. Next week's the man born blind will be more of a palatable um, chapter, but. Um, to God be glory now and forever to age of ages. Amen. Any questions, comments, meditations um, of your own on this? I think you might have touched upon it, but I missed it. In verse 55, he says, If I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. I'm just wondering what you're So he's calling them liars because he, they're saying we're sons of Abraham. And he's like, well, you're not acting like it. If you were, you would look like this, but you don't. So you're lying. Yeah. Uh, someone sent a question of, is it okay to interrogate the truth for the reason of ensuring that what we believe is truth can really stand up to intense scrutiny and is in fact truth? It is okay, but I wouldn't call it an interrogation. I'd call it an examination. But even examination is, is maybe not even the right word because for you to examine something, and, and I'm sorry, John's gospel is, is philosophical. For you to examine something, you have to ask on what basis are you examining, right? If I, as a former pharmacist, were to try and take somebody's car and be like, let me check if this car is up to standard, on what basis? I don't know anything about cars. Right. So I have to be careful that in my so-called interrogation or examination of truth that I'm qualified to even do so. Right. Because truth stands for itself. So there's nothing wrong with what I think what you might actually mean of trying to figure out why I believe something to be true. Right. Of holding it up to things that we, we feel that we could know. Right. So, for example, if, if a religion is making a claim, for example, that Jesus is God and yet it's clearly a historical fact that Jesus didn't exist, then there'd be a problem. So yes, you'd want to hold it to the scrutiny of other known truths, right? But to actually try and, and, and say, I've decided what's true, there's actually a danger in there, right? It's, it's more humble to say, I've come to believe that this is true based on, on whatever it is that uh, you used to get there. Any other, uh, let me check the chat. And I think I actually completely forgot to record. That was somebody's question. 
um, but I forgot. I'm so out of it today. I'm sorry, guys. Go ahead, Steve. So that's an interesting verse because there's both opinions. So there are some who think it means to be proceeding from the Father and it's part of the Trinitarian language that we use. Um, what some suggest is meant here is actually about the incarnation specifically um, of saying that I came forth in time and became. So it could be either. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Are you going to say that? I thought you had raised your hand, my bad. Yeah, if I can rant for a minute, please be careful because I think like the, the fights of John are the fights that are taking over the church today, not just society, right? The fights of John of do it my way or the highway of not trying to understand each other. Like look at, look at how much time was wasted before they finally asked the question of who are you? Not that they liked the answer when they got it, but imagine if it had just started there, right? Of what do you mean when you say, as opposed to having the fight right off the bat without questioning, right? We've lost that, that dialogue, right? We've lost that ability to say, hey, I don't understand what you mean. My understanding was that it's this, right? If the Jews, instead of yelling and screaming, had said, how are, how are you claiming to be older than Abraham without the sarcasm, he probably would have answered, right? Because if you look at, again, chapter two with Nicodemus, he's gentle with Nicodemus. He's not ranting and raving and angry with him, right? Even though he's a Pharisee, right? He's just like, no, I'll explain it to you. Here's what I mean, right? And he has the actual back and forth, right? Same thing with the Samaritan woman, right? Where he's not like, no, back off lady, you're disgusting. Right, where he is like, sure, I'll tell you. Right. But but we don't like to use that language. We need to we need to start. Imagine how many fights you could have avoided at church. Just think of any controversy. If questions were asked and we believed the answers of those we asked, there'd be no major conflicts. What did you mean? I meant this. Okay, cool right? Is there a disagreement? Okay, hold it up to the light. Does the light have an answer? If no, no problem. We can peacefully disagree, right? Not an issue. Think about your, any relationship issues you've had, family issues you've had. It's actually always simple. It's always simple, right? But the sooner we can learn to die to our egos and our will as Christ will do, that's when we'll recognize I am is he, right? In the moment of death. Right, and that's where the victory can come from. Peter. Yeah. Because it was 
so yeah. They were actually still working on Herod's expansion. So there were rocks everywhere. But it also shows you that they, there seems to have been a, some kind of weird intervention because they raise them to kill him and just don't, right? And it's not clear why they suddenly stop either. I'm actually not sure. Word. Okay, we will now do um, the praises and we'll start um, uh, the liturgy promptly at 10. And let's just end with uh, prayer and go right into it. Thank you guys for your patience. I'm so gone today. Lord, make us very thought thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not temptation. Loose me, evil one, in Christ Jesus our 